Welcome to the Gut Connection with Brian Jerby, MD, where we discuss the connection that gastrointestinal health has with all of health. We review the latest research and interview the greatest minds in this rapidly advancing field of gut health and integrative functional medicine. Please keep in mind that this podcast is provided for educational purposes only and should not be considered a substitute for care from a licensed medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that this does not constitute medical advice or other medical services. If you would like more information about Dr. Jerby and the type of medical care that he provides, please visit drjerby.com. That's D-R-J-E-R-B-Y.com. Now, let's get to this episode of The Gut Connection. Hi, and welcome to another episode of The Gut Connection. I'm Brian Jervie, your host, and we are so glad that you're with us here today. And I sincerely hope, I really hope that this podcast is indeed beneficial to you in your quest for gastrointestinal health. And as you know, GI health is the beginning of all physical health, and so this is a great place to start to try to reach your overall health goals. Now, a lot of you have questions about whether or not someone with GI problems should be taking enzymes. Well, we're going to start to analyze that question and answer that question today. And it's not going to, you know, just be one episode. It's going to have to be something something that's ongoing because this is a big topic. Well, we're going to start out by talking about exocrine pancreatic insufficiency. That's a lot of of words, but we're going to uh, abbreviate it EPI, and that's definitely what it's typically abbreviated as. So exocrine pancreatic insufficiency, or EPI, Um, And we're going to talk about that in general first, and then we're going to narrow it down to the relationship between the gut microbiome, big surprise, right, and EPI. But first, let's talk a little bit about the pancreas. Now, this is like uh, really, really basic, but I wanted to make sure that everyone listening has a a good idea what the job or jobs are of the pancreas are. So the pancreas is an absolutely amazing organ and it's uh, composed of two main functions. The endocrine pancreas, okay, so whenever you talk about endocrine, that means that you've got a gland that's secreting hormones or, or products into the bloodstream, okay? So that's the endocrine portion of the pancreas. And then there's an exocrine pancreas portion. So when you talk about exocrine, then you have cells that make certain products and secrete it into a, uh, you know, a a duct or a, a, you know, a a way to transport it into the, um, uh, into say like the gut. So the exocrine uh, pancreas secretes fluids um, into the GI tract, and the endocrine portion of the pancreas secretes um, uh, hormones into 
and, and of course the most well-known one is insulin, um, it secretes that into the bloodstream. And the endocrine portion of the pancreas, if you you know, if you looked at it under the microscope, it consists of groups of cells that are called the islets of Langerhans, which are responsible for the secretion of insulin, like I said, and other gut-related uh, hormones like glucagon and somatostatin. Okay, so, you know, we're not going to get into all those right now, but just suffice it to say that there's an endocrine portion. Now, the exocrine tissues, the pancreatic exocrine tissues are, um, if you looked at them under the microscope, those would be called acini, A-C-I-N-I. Um, and the that's the plural. The, end, the singular is asinus. But anyway, the acini produce the digestive enzymes that are mixed with um, sodium bicarbonate also produced in the um, in the pancreas, and then the, this mixture of of fluid is secreted into the pancreatic duct, flows down the pancreatic duct, which joins with the hepatic duct to make the common duct, and then the common duct empties into the first part of the small intestine called the duodenum or the duodenum, how you know, tomato-tomato sort of thing. The digestive enzymes and the pancreatic juice break down carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. Um, and the sodium bicarbonate that's, you know, secreted with the juice neutralizes the acidic contents that are coming from the stomach, um, you know, um, it's called chyme. I know that sounds kind of gross, but anyway, um, the chyme mixes together with the pancreatic juice, and this starts the enzymatic process to break down the nutrients. Okay, so that's like a whirlwind GI physiology. It's much more complicated than that, but I just wanted you to know what exocrine pancreatic insufficiency is. So what it boils down to is that the pancreas is not making enough of the digestive enzyme portion um, that it's supposed to. So you can have exocrine pancreatic insufficiency, but still have your endocrine pancreas functioning normally. I hope that makes sense. So Problems definitely can occur when there's a dysfunction in the ability of the pancreas to produce the enzymes. Um, it'll mess up your digestion, right? Um, or maybe the, the body's demand uh, exceeds the supply of enzymes. Uh, like if you drank a, you know, a quart of uh, olive oil, um, the, it's going to be, be hard for your um, body to make, your pancreas to make enough um enzymes to break down all that fat, right? So anyway, um, this sort of dysfunction can occur for a, a variety uh, of reasons, not the least of which is something awful like pancreatic cancer. And, and you know, I, fortunately in my practice, I don't see a, a lot of pancreatic cancer, even though I've had a few patients um, that have shown up with that. Well, there are other things like blockage of the pancreatic duct, um, maybe with benign tumors or something else like that. 
um, or scarring that strictures it down or or whatever, but it blocks the outflow tract, right? Um, and then you can have uh, injury, uh, like traumatic um, injury to the pancreas, um, toxic exposures. I mean, there are numerous reasons that um, the these can, things can occur. But when we think of EPI, we're usually thinking as doctors about the most common causes, which is like chronic pancreatitis or pancreatic cancer. How do you get chronic pancreatitis? Well, a lot of people who are alcoholics get chronic pancreatitis because alcohol is one of those toxins that can cause inflammation of the pancreas. Um, uh, or maybe a person has part of their pancreas removed um, from, you know, from, from surgery. Um, and then there's a disease called cystic fibrosis that is a genetic disease that affects um, pancreatic tissue as well. Um, and then there's good old uh, Crohn's disease, which I see a lot of, and celiac disease, which probably affects about 1% of the world's population. So that's that could be a pretty common cause of, of EPI. But then there's diabetes. Diabetes can actually, um, you know, cause EPI as well. And then um, there's uh, advancing age also can affect your pancreas's ability to make the enzymes, okay? So um, those are, oh, well, there's another thing too. It's called autoimmune pancreatitis, which is, you know, your own immune system attacking your pancreas. Um and that is something to think about in a with a young person who has EPI. Um, so we'll talk about the diagnosis um, next. So how I mean, how do we determine if someone has EPI? Well, you could do a seventy-two hour stool collection where you know you you collect all of your stool for three days straight. <laughs> And then measure the amount of fat in the stool, um, which, you know, whoa, that's just, that's a lot. And um, nobody wants that in the refrigerator. Uh, quite cumbersome. So not a whole lot of people are going to collect their poop um, for 72 hours straight and then store it in the refrigerator. But um, it's a test that's still done. Uh, I had a patient the other day that came in who had who their doctor uh, wanted them to do it, but um, you know there are other ways to do it too. And studies show that measurement of the pancreatic elastase component of um, exocrine pancreatic fluid or or you know pancreatic juice is an effective way of identifying people who may have exocrine pancreatic insufficiency, EPI. The reason that we use pancreatic elastase is that it is an enzyme that generally survives normal digestion, whereas other enzymes are going to get broke down as it goes through the GI tract. Uh, pancreatic elastase survives um, throughout the whole uh, you know, throughout the whole digestive tract, generally in the normal situation. Okay, um, 
So if it shows up intact in a person's stool, then we can measure it. And um, there's we can also measure just a kind of like a, a spot measurement of the amount of stool um, fat in a person's stool, which doesn't require you to collect your stool for 72 hours. You just do one collection, okay? Um, and that's a lot easier. It's It's a lot more doable for most people. So... We might see low pancreatic elastase, and generally it, uh, we like to see the level above 200, or even I like to see it greater than 500. But definitely anything below 200 is uh, could be considered exocrine pancreatic insufficiency, EPI. And certainly if it's below 100, that's severe um, insufficiency. Now, one thing you have to be careful of is that diarrheal stools or liquid stools sometimes can dilute out the pancreatic, pancreatic elastase and then you have a falsely low reading. So, you know, you have to have somebody experienced in these, you know, seeing a lot of these disorders um, to, to correctly interpret these um, test results. And then, you know, you always also want to look at the protein um, content in the stool, and that can give you additional clues as well, okay? Now, I see a, a fair number of people with EPI, but in my ex experience, um, it is only rarely related to those conditions that we just, you know, mentioned previously, like the, you know, the chronic pancreatitis and the the trauma and the surgery and, and, and the pancreatic cancer, you know, cystic fibrosis. I don't see that. Um, but what I do see is a lot of people who come in with a number of different gastrointestinal complaints. They've had a full workup and no answers have been found. It doesn't show any evidence of, uh, any of the of the things that we previously mentioned. So what I see is um, maybe three different scenarios. Number one, I'll get a stool test which shows low levels of pancreatic elastase, but the fecal fat levels are normal. Okay. Uh, number two, I might see a person who has gets a stool test and it shows normal levels of pancreatic elastase, but elevated fecal fat. Hmm, now that's interesting, right? And then number three, I sometimes will see a person who has both low levels of pancreatic elastase and elevated fecal fat. Now, um, what about these? Uh, well, let's we'll talk about those in just a minute, but... You know, assuming that the other root causes or etiologies have been excluded, um, like what we said, chronic pancreatitis, pancreatic cancer, and things like that, uh, things like that. Um, you know, most of the time people show up in my office and, and they've, you know, they've had a, they've had a CT scan, they've had, there's no inflammation, there's no tumor, there's nothing, um. So my my practice is very skewed toward people who haven't found answers anywhere else. 
um, have all the tests done and no etiology for their symptoms. And so, you know, granted, that's a skewed population. So I'm seeing the unusual stuff. But maybe these things aren't as unusual as conventional doctors think the, they are. Um, studies show that there's a relationship between the gut microbiome, surprise, surprise, and exocrine pancreatic secretion. And there was a fascinating study of uh, 1,795 people who underwent evaluation by you know submitting a stool sample but their and and these people's symptoms and past medical history did not suggest any evidence of pancreatic disease or you know any history of that um, and the study showed that changes in exocrine pancreatic secretion were definitely correlated with changes in the intestinal microbiome Patients having low levels of elastase showed a significant increase in a bacteria, bacterial species that's called Prevotella, and a significant in, uh, sorry, a significant decrease in Bacteroides species. Interesting stuff, none, uh, no doubt. So this, uh, these changes, high Prevotella, low Bacteroides. Um, was associated with a change in pancreatic fluid secretion and therefore how well the pancreatic cells, you know, you could, you could extrapolate that into how well the pancreatic cells were working. So this definitely shows that there is some relationship between your microbiome and your gut and exocrine pancreatic secretion. And, and definitely that's what I'm seeing in my practice. And interestingly, you know, for you gut geeks out there, um, Prevotella is an, one of the producers of hydrogen sulfide, which can definitely induce pancreatic cell damage, among other cells, um, for sure. And now, uh, you might know the main species in small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, it, uh, or SIBO, is E. coli and Klebsiella, but that doesn't mean that Prevotella isn't active as well. Um, it's just that they didn't study it in this in this um, uh, research article that we're um, we're referencing. But there's definitely a significant relationship between SIBO and EPI. Um, EPI can promote SIBO and SIBO can exacerbate EPI and that's definitely the 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 phenomenon of the snowball rolling down the hill the you know the problem just gets worse as time goes on therefore you know you can you can conclude that someone with EPI without a definite etiology you know not any of these other um, reasons that we mentioned previously, those have been ruled out. So someone with EPI without definite etiology should undergo testing for SIBO. Okay, And someone with SIBO, at least in my practice, almost always gets at least a pancreatic elastase evaluation, if not a full digestive analysis. So what can we conclude 
Um, if you have SIBO, make sure that you've had your pancreatic elastase and your fecal fat levels tested. And if you have EPI, make sure that you have been tested for SIBO as well. And no matter um, what, I believe that you should have your microbiome evaluated and treated by someone who has lots of experience in this area. Okay, you don't want just someone who uh, did a Google review online um, and are putting themselves out there as as an expert. Um, so just be make sure that you're you're you know interacting with a licensed provider who has lots of lots of experience in this area. So. Um, what about the low levels of pancreatic elastase but normal fecal fat levels? Well, that can definitely be related to um, uh, diarrhea, possibly. Um, but maybe the person doesn't eat a lot of fat. Um, that needs to be, you know, uh, put in the equation. Uh, but could also bacterial imbalances bacterial overgrowth in my experience seems to actually destroy pancreatic elastase and therefore it shows up low um, so definitely a bacterial overgrowth could cause low levels of pancreatic elastase what about the ones who have normal levels of pancreatic elastase but elevated fecal fat levels well in my um experience that's a bacterial imbalance that is impairing the small intestine lining from making additional digestive enzymes that can help um, further digest nutrients and therefore um, the pancreatic elastase is normal but uh, fecal fat is elevated and then Finally, you know, the, the one with low levels of pancreatic elastase and elevated fecal fat, that's, that's pretty easy. Um, uh, you know, that's your elevated fecal fat is most likely because of um, EPI. So anyway, <laughs> um, there's lots of different ways you can look at this and, and evaluate this. And, and the point is, um, if you're having problems and haven't gotten answers, then find somebody who can help you um, you know, ferret this all out and, um, and get down to the root cause of your problems. So if you need help in this area or you're, you've got unexplained GI problems, you know, we help people all the time. So don't hesitate to give us a call or, um, there's other people out there who are qualified as well. And hopefully this podcast is helping you, um, you know, help helping you uh, with your own health. And that's definitely our goal. It's our hope and prayer that not only are you seeking optimal physical health, but you're also seeking optimal spiritual health as well. And my staff and I are definitely able to help you with all of the above, um, both answers for your physical health and answers for your spiritual health as well. So 
We're going to call it quits for another episode of the Gut Connection. I'm Brian Jerby, your host. And again, it is our sincere hope that this podcast is being helpful to you and has been helpful to you, you in the past. And we hope to have you back for our next episode of the Gut Connection. And we will definitely try to seek to try to determine which pancreatic enzyme replacement treatments are the best. Hope you all have a great weekend and God bless you all. Bye-bye. And that ends this episode of The Gut Connection. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll look forward to having you back for our next episode where we'll discuss more gut-related topics and interview leaders in this rapidly advancing field. If you'd like more information, please visit us at drjerby.com. That's D-R-J-E-R-B-Y.com. Until next time, take care and may God bless you.